Hey everyone, and welcome back to the IPHO podcast. I'm Brian, and currently the Global Regulatory Affairs Fellow at Alexion, AstraZeneca Rare Disease, and I'll be hosting monthly episodes here on the IPHO podcast. My goal is to have guests on every episode that will help me provide you, the listener, with a podcast that can help facilitate professional growth and provide tools that can help you become a successful industry professional. We tackle a variety of subjects here on the IPHO podcast, ranging from preparation for mid-year to how to leverage appy experiences and so much more. I really hope you find these episodes helpful. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. For those that did not tune in for our last episode, I'm your new co-host, Brian Arana Madris. I am a Global Regulatory Affairs Fellow at Alexion AstraZeneca Rare Disease. And today I have a special guest joining us, uh, Kevin Darko. Uh, Kevin, thank you for being on the show today. Uh, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are excited for this episode. Just to provide some background, Kevin is a Global Regulatory Affairs Fellow at UCB in Immunology and Neurology. He's originally from Newark, New Jersey, and attended his undergrad at Bowie State University in Maryland and completed his PharmD at the University of Tennessee College of Pharmacy in Knoxville. Today, we're going to talk to Kevin about his journey into regulatory affairs, the impact regulatory affairs professionals have across the drug development cycle, and some of the nuances within this functional area. So we're going to go straight into some questions. So Kevin, let's start with some background on yourself. What made you pursue a career in pharmacy? Oh, no, great question. I think for me, it combined my two passions. Like first is the curiosity aspect of things, getting to learn how the drugs work in the body. How do they relate to the disease states and things of that nature? So I actually worked in a drug synthesis lab during my undergraduate education at Bowie State University. I really became like an organic chemistry nerd. And I think that's where my passion for the drug development aspect of things came into play. Personally, I've always been someone who just wanted to help people, right? And having that passion to help people improve their health status was like a major draw for me towards pharmacy. So I would say those were my main two things. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's a ever-changing uh, functional area. And that really plays into something that you mentioned. And there's always opportunities to learn and grow as a professional. So I would 100% agree with you when it comes to that aspect. So what sorts of activities were you involved when you were in pharmacy school? What were some major interests back then? Was it clinical? Was it industry? Just give us some background on that. Yeah, for me, I actually came into pharmacy school knowing that I wanted to go into the industry. I think the debate became uh, what functional area would I end up? So I kind of knew that there's some like transferable skills that would be essential in every role, like leadership development, public speaking, time management. Like Those are all things that I knew I needed to develop. So I was actually heavily involved in SNAFA. I was my my school, University of Tennessee's uh, legislation chair. Um, and from that, you know, I was leading teams, leading different initiatives, and that really kind of got me some leadership experience. I also even did a leadership development called the LEAD program at my school, uh, where the dean actually selected 10 students to mentor over two years. Through that, I got uh, clinical research experience, a lot of public speaking opportunities. So getting comfortable talking in front of crowds. Like I knew that that'd be a very valuable skill to have. And then um, going outside my comfort zone, I did the annual Leap at Lily business case competition where uh, my team was actually fortunate enough to place first in and get the opportunity in my third year to present to Eli Lilly's uh, vice presidents, their president. So very good opportunities. I think for me, I was just very open to things, 
open to challenges and trying to check a lot of those transferable skill boxes off my list. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a great point in terms of the transferable skills. It's something that I've really wanted to harp on during these episodes, Mm -hmm. especially for the students that don't have those industry experiences to leverage throughout interviews. Those leadership positions do develop your soft skills. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the soft skills are so handy when you're in these roles, especially communication and collaboration and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, those students listening, you know, it's not only about the experiences, but also developing those soft skills Mm -hmm. in order to transfer into a role like a fellowship, like Kevin mentioned himself. I'd even add to that. There's so many different ways to do so. Like one of the ways I did that, my school actually offered a grant for people who maybe have a startup idea. And me and two other of my classmates actually created a startup medical device company while we're in pharmacy school. Like we're pitching to investors, you know, we're giving presentations, we're making marketing plans. Like there's so many different things that you yourself can like do to make yourself stand out as a candidate and really kind of emphasize those transferable skills you were touching on. Leading a team, communication, like those are all things that are going to be essential across functional areas. So even if you don't know what you want to do right now, like start building those skills that you can refer to and say, hey, this was a time I was a great leader. This is a time I problem solved. This is a time I managed my my skills or my multiple projects. So uh, that'd be just one more thing I wanted to add. Yeah. And I think it highlights, right? Like your willingness to innovate, your willingness to be proactive. Mm-hmm. And that also plays into kind of the skills that you need, especially within regulatory affairs. And, you know, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of our topic today, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about the regulatory affairs functional area? Oh, yeah, of course. So regulatory affairs, like I look at it, it's really our, our job to obtain approval, but then also maintain approval of products that have been put on the market. Our job really relies on a lot of teamwork. So we're working with multiple functional areas, uh, clinical development, safety, marketing. So this is where that transferable skills of working in teams and being able to communicate will be huge. And it's really our job to liaise to the major health authorities. So people like the FDA or EMA, we're the point of contact representing our company. So any questions that they may have, we're the ones who address them. And it's really our job to think from the lens of the regulator. So when I say that, I more so mean like, what risk could our drug development program have? And having that foresight to be able to come up with strategies to kind of mitigate those risks. So the very essential role, we're involved from the beginning and end of drug development. So you're going to get to be able to see these products all the way through for the most part. But that's just a general overview. Yeah, and I think you you captured that perfect. So I won't add anything to that. It really is what you you defined it as. And, you know, I'm since I'm in regulatory as well, I encounter that on a, on a daily basis. And, you know, something that's a little different from my journey that probably may be different from yours is that I was medically affairs inclined throughout pharmacy school until fourth year, until I discovered, you know, regulatory affairs. And it took a rotation during fourth year for me to kind of um, be interested within this function. So what first sparked your interest in regulatory affairs? And was there a particular experience that led you to pursue this particular functional area for a fellowship? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I think, like you, like I said, the debate becomes what functional area is the best functional area for you. I, you know, I went back and forth from being, oh, maybe MSL to PV uh, to now regulatory. For me, it was really the Duke School of Medicine. They have an Office of Regulatory Affairs training program, six-week training program going over drug development and the role regulatory plays in it, as well as going into medical device regulation as well, which is kind of like applicable to my startup. So that's kind of why I signed up for that. And for me, uh, once I got to see like the hands-on aspect of the type of meetings and the level of strategy that's needed to actually have this type of role, I was like, I knew that this is the place for me because I'm big on like 
thinking quickly on my feet and being able to problem solve and regulatory is a field full of problems, right? And it's going to be ever evolving. And um, you'll never meet a person that says they truly mastered regulatory because it evolves every year. You know, things that apply to 10 years ago won't apply now. Even a year ago, it could change. So I wanted to be in a, a position where I'd constantly have to be on my toes and at the top of my game. Yeah, and you couldn't have said it any better uh, in terms of like the strategic thinking that's involved within this. And then when you get a change in strategy, then also going back and trying to look, okay, so where's the risk in this new strategy? As as, uh, I'm pretty sure you've seen um, within your role, but it's exciting, right? Because at the end of the day, you're trying to identify those risks in a proactive manner so that the team can understand that and then implement that strategy best moving forward. Um, And that's something that 100% excites me about the role. And it sounds like it excites you as well. And those out there um, that are not familiar with regulatory strategy, it is some function. And we'll go into a little bit deeper of what that is as we progress through this podcast. I mean, you know, what I love to tell students is that the regulatory uh, functional area plays a huge role throughout the development cycle of a program, whether it's preclinical all the way to post-marketing. Is there one thing that stood out to you about this particular function, like a maybe a specific sub-function of regulatory, a role that you wanted to pursue or anything of that nature? I think for me, I immediately gravitated towards strategy. I actually have a mentor who's in regulatory too. Um, you know, I knew him in my undergrad. He went to the same undergrad as me and then kind of followed his journey into pharma as well. And, and just seeing like how like on top of everything you have to be, I, I gravitated towards it without question. Because strategy, you kind of have to be like a jack of all trades. And um, I do want to develop into more of a generalist, like have a wide array of skills. And I think that a strategy is kind of the ber- perfect place to be. And I say that not to say that these specialty functions are not important because every single segment of it is very important. But I've always been someone who kind of wants that bird's eye view of everything and see how all the different pieces of the puzzle come together to kind of make drug development ultimately lead to approval. Yeah. And, and you know, I, it's funny that you mentioned strategy and I'm also interested in strategy. I think the gray that's involved in strategy is something that really interests me and it, it challenges kind of the skill set that I already had going into like the uh, pursuing a, a fellowship. But just for the general audience to know, you know, there's strategy, there's other subfunction like Reg Intel. Do you have any experiences in ad promo or maybe CMC? And if not, how do these tie in together in the bigger scheme of things? Bigger picture. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I don't have any actually experience in ad promotion or uh, CMC or policy. However, UCB's fellowship is a, a bit different than most uh, where you specialize in one area for two years. And um, we do have a focus in strategy for those first nine months. And then I'll have a six month rotation in advertising and promotion. And pretty much when we talk about ad and promo, it's more so like the promotional material that is going to be like put out to the public. And you say certain things and is that supported by data? Everything comes back to the data. And it's really our job to say, hey, if we're making a claim about something. Hey, does our product improve your health by X amount? We want that to be supported by data, you know, and that even transcends now in this new you know, tech age to social media advertising, like what type of, you know, different avenues can we use to reach our target population or our patients? So I'll do, I will get some added promotion. So we'll see if that changes my career direction. But, um, and then CMC, highly specialized area, high in demand and super important. You know, there is no approval if there's not CMC because they handle all the manufacturing processes of everything, all the analytical testing you're doing, drug stability, things that have half-life of the product. Like they're the ones getting that data and compiling it for the FDA so that we make sure our drug is safe. And then it continues to maintain that safety, you know, over time. So 
very interesting area. I think highly specialized, but don't have much experience. However, I did learn that there's less gray area, so a lot of people do like it because there's a lot more direction. Um, but uh, I find that I like playing around in the gray area, so to speak, and kind of thinking quickly on my feet. Yeah, for sure. And for those that don't know, uh, CMC is chemistry, manufacturing, and controls. Um, they're focused on good manufacturing practices and the quality of a product. And these are just sub-functions of regulatory affairs. So, you know, like Kevin's fellowship program, he's in strategy, but he's going to be able to rotate within sub-functions to get, you know, some experience in these. Same thing with uh, my fellowship as well. I'm in strategy. I'll be rotating through App Promo and CMC. And, you know, for, for those that are listening, you know, you can become a generalist like Kevin mentioned, or you can decide that, hey, you know, strategies for me and decide to go for a full-time equivalent within a specific sub-function of regulatory. And I just want the audience to kind of get that perspective on the opportunities as a lot of students learn about the general terms of functional areas like medical affairs, regulatory affairs, and commercial. But within these functions, there's certain uh, sub-functions that you can have a, a specific role and responsibility in. So that's just an FYI to the audience. And I think what's um, pretty awesome, if I, if I don't say so myself, in uh, regulatory affairs is that we are PharmDs, right? So we have that additional clinical expertise that can kind of, we can leverage through these cross-collaborative meetings. So um, that that's something that I would say is an advantage of a PharmD within this. I don't know if you would feel the same, but do you feel like there's a particular area of your PharmD that you leverage within your fellowship, whether it's clinical or maybe another aspect? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say like there are a lot of advantages to having a farm because you, you know, you're the drug expert, right? So um, for me, I think the insight that I can provide to my team is like, how do things actually work in practice, right? Uh, when we're doing a protocol design, like if they're asking my opinion, it's like, okay, uh, should we give this product five times a day? Like that's not likely to be beneficial in terms of adherence, right? Or how is the product stored? Like what's the process that goes on in the hospital or, you know, how do patients tend to feel about injections? You know, is there a way we can alleviate that? So I think for us, it's like we can see the value in it. And even in healthcare, we're seen as patient advocates, right? So I can continue to do that within regulatory by thinking from the perspective as the pharmacist on the team, like, yo, patients, they don't like injecting themselves a billion times, you know, they don't want to deal with these types of side effects. Or if I'm making a recommendation to a prescriber, what type of things am I looking at? If it had this black box warning, would I, would I recommend this? Probably not, right? So we got to make sure we do some tests to kind of like make sure we don't have that in our label or prove that we don't have this uh, adverse reaction that is maybe seen in that class. So um, I think that perspective can be very valuable within regulatory. And then also like our ability to, you know, look at clinical data, you know, and does this apply to my practice? Does this apply to my pa patient population? Like, so I, I think there are numerous advantages to having a PharmD within uh, regulatory. Yeah. And honestly, like I didn't really think about those now that you yeah. put it into like a perspective, you know, you do it subconsciously, like yep. when you're reviewing certain things. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you mentioned that, I think it, it gives great insight to students, because one of the things that I've noticed is they always want to leverage the clinical mm -hmm. within regulatory. Yep. At the end of the day, we're not the subject matter experts within the clinical data of a program. Right. So exactly the impact that we can make within that that conversation. Yes, we can help support 
But at the end of the day, the SME or the subject matter expert is going to make the final call on that. So exactly. that's something that I also want to mention um, because there's other ways that we impact within the regulatory space. And it's not just the clinical kind of training that we bring to the table. Yes, it's going to aid in discussion. Yep. Yes, you can read a briefing book and decide, hey, this is not strong. Yeah. I have no idea why we're going to yeah. the FDA with this. <laughs> and it will help tremendously. But like what Kevin mentioned, we have actual experience in practice, whether it's hospital or it's in the community setting. And um, those are other ways we can impact this functional area. So those are great points to even mention, Kevin. I, I appreciate that for sure. And I know the audience is going to gain some perspective when it comes to that, especially all the pharmacy students listening in. Yep. This is something that I struggle with, you know, going from student into regulatory affairs professional. What would you say was the biggest adjustment going from, you know, the student to that reg affairs uh, role where we don't get that much training in school, if honestly none, right? So how was that for you? Yeah, no, I think uh, without question, the big one definitely be the learning curve, right? Very steep learning curve. Um, regulatory is one of those fields where like the more experience you have, the better you'll be at your job. And I think as uh, PharmDs, uh, we tend to like look for like guidelines, like that's what we're used to. Sure, there's guidances, but you'll find that strategy is not just reading the guidance, it's how you interpret this guidance. Right. So that was the biggest struggle for me because my second year fellow, Jesse Kemp, she gave me like this beautiful example. She's like, people who are experienced in regulatory, they've put out certain fires before. So if they see that fire again, they know exactly how to put that fire out. You know, and for me, it's tough because I haven't put out any fires. Right. So uh, I think the difficult thing is being patient with yourself, being patient with your learning, uh, take it project by project. Obviously, do the little things, read the guidances, you know, do your own background research, things like that. But definitely the, the most difficult thing is like that perfectionist attitude that I think most pharmacists have is I can read everything and then know how to do it. it does not work like that in regulatory. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really being comfortable with uh, the gray. Exactly. Yep, the gray area. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, what strategy do we want to put forward? What are, what are the guidances saying? And not only what are they saying, mm -hmm. how was this implemented previously? Precedence, right? Like exactly, you mentioned. Exactly, exactly. So how did company X do it for a similar product? Mm -hmm. And kind of what mm -hmm. was the FDA's feedback on that? And yep. for, the, for the students on the call that don't know, you know, there's going to be a lot of this within regulatory. The great thing mm -hmm. is that these agencies publicize a lot of their they're back yep. and forth with these companies. So there's always, there's always a place where you can find this. And I think that was um, incredible in my PharmD training was being resourceful. Yes, Knowing right. how to look for information was extremely important within this function. So yep. can you speak a little bit to kind of how you've been able to use, you know, your resources that you were taught within pharmacy school, those skills to kind of apply to your role now? Oh, without question, I think you hit it right on the head. And I think the term we're all familiar with just being on rotations is it's okay if you don't know the answer, but you better know where to find it, right? Regulatory is kind of the same thing. And then let's say you're having a study um, in a specific therapeutic area and you have certain competitors who've done the same study and had the product approved. You could look at, hey, what endpoints did they use to show efficacy? You know, what kind of safety hazards did their, or what kind of safety profile did their product have? So we know what kind of tests we need to do. Um, one of the things a lot of my mentors have been telling me to do is look at um, what they call summary basis of approval. And basically the FDA kind of goes over why they approved this product and what type of reservations or the interactions that they've had with the sponsor at that time. So that can give you some idea in terms of like what type of strategies you develop for your drug development process. So um, that's been my thing. I've been you know looking at summary basis of approval, 
regulatory intelligence is another important thing. I'm, I'm currently involved in a pilot program here at UCB doing that as well, uh, looking at sites like Cortellus or um, FDA website, obviously, that's the major one, right? Um, and, and then um, Agency IQ is a new one that I use as well. So being up to date on the environment of regulatory will also help you be better at your job because um, there may be guidances that could impact your program. If you're not aware of them, then how can you navigate that new risk, right? Yeah, and that that's a great point. And it's something I wanted to talk about because you mentioned uh, throughout this podcast is mentorship mm-hmm. within your program, right? Especially in a function like regulatory yeah. affairs, mm-hmm. you're kind of in the unknown, big time in the unknown, right? So yep. <laughs> um, just to highlight your fellowship program itself, how has UCB um, provided those mentors to kind of sit, set you up to succeed within this function? As we mm-hmm. already know, it's kind of a, a big learning curve, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, UCB does a great job. One of the major things that drew me to them is actually that there's a lot of visibility to senior leadership, right? Um, our global head actually is a PharmD, right? And I can message him on Teams and he'll respond right away and I can have a one-on-one if necessary. Um, and then throughout my rotations, I actually have a preceptor, uh, Leo Donopoli, great guy, very experienced within the regulatory. I mean, him meet about three times a week. And he gives me these sessions where it's like, it, I, it the ball's in my court. Whatever you want to talk about, we'll talk about. You know, if I have a question about, you know, the different uh, pathways, you know, walking, walking through accelerated pathways, you know, how do these endpoints work? He'll walk me through it. There's no such thing as a dumb question to him, right? And it's because he's experienced, he knows the feeling. And I think it's another good thing because the major struggle you face is feeling like you're not learning quickly enough. And you kind of need someone who's experienced to say, hey, I mean, this is how it goes. It'll get better with time. And he does a great job of, I guess, at the same time, balancing it, like challenging me but then not drowning in work that I won't know how to do, right? So I'll say they do a great job. And then also my outside mentors, they've been huge too. Like always like leverage things like LinkedIn to reach out to people who've been more experienced in the field that can kind of give you some perspective, uh, get tips on, you know, what sites work for them. That's why I know about a lot of these rug intelligence sites because that kind of helps you stay in the mode of like knowing your environment and knowing your competitors. So Yeah, and I wanted to ask you this question because a lot of pharmacy students don't really put into perspective that during these fellowship interviews, you're not only interviewing for them, mm-hmm. you're also interviewing the company itself, right? So it's important to find a program where you can align in terms of the goals that you would like in your fellowship, but also see how is that mentorship going to progress your professional development, not only for yourself, but in your career. Um, so it sounds like UCB is doing a great job at that for sure. You know, this is another another great question that I get asked all the time is kind of how can I stand out for, to be a regulatory affairs fellowship throughout the interview process? What do you think are the top three soft skills you need to have to excel within this functional area? Mm-hmm. Um, without question, communication like that is going to be essential written and verbal, right? Because you're going to be working with so many different functional areas. So um, and, and I guess leadership to an extent to kind of ties in with communication because everyone receives communication differently. So you need to know who you're talking to. We're gonna be working with clinical, safety. Everyone prefers communication in a different way. So you kind of gotta be able to be versatile in how you communicate to these teams. Make sure that you're clear and concise and that people understand timelines and objectives, what you need from them. And then even on the FDA side, you wanna make sure that your communications are strong because you don't wanna say the wrong thing that could possibly lead to multi-million dollar you know, mistake, right? Uh, so this, uh, communication's huge. Uh, like running meetings, any leadership experience you have doing that. Second thing being time management skills, regulatory, very timeline oriented. Um, you want to make sure that you're meeting all your milestones. If the FDA has a, let's say you have to do an IB update, investigation brochure, annual update, 
you want to make sure that you don't miss the deadlines for these things because if you miss certain deadlines, it can push your development process back months and even years, right? And you definitely don't want that headache. Um, so any opportunities you've shown where you've had leadership, you've set objectives, and you've met certain deadlines. And then I think the last time is uh, having that problem-solving mentality, and that's essential, especially in strategy. What are some times where you've seen something maybe clinically and you've applied your knowledge clinically to solve a problem? For me, um, it was kind of easy. Like when I saw the Elalu Business Case Competition, like we saw a major issue with adherence and transportation. So we came up with the idea to have QR codes on the products of the medications. So that way patients who, let's say there's a language barrier, they can scan this code, choose their language, and then they get a demonstration led by a pharmacy student or a pharmacist that's trained on how to use that product. I think it's specifically with diabetes or even with my startup guide, we saw that there's a huge vaping epidemic. So why not create a, a new form like an electronic cigarette capitalizing on addiction where, you know, there's part of addiction is also having something in your mouth. So what if we could create a product that tapers down their nicotine daily at a process that they're comfortable with, right? Because most uh, smoking cessation therapies don't work because you have to make a one-size-fits-all approach and addiction is not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? So that's me taking my clinical knowledge and something I've seen in practice to solve a real-world problem, right? So any of those examples or anything that you can, like, I guess, emphasize to the fellowship directors that, hey, I'm a problem solver when I see something. I can think creative, I can come up with innovative solutions to do this, and I can lead a team doing it effectively. I think those are the key things. So communication, time management skills, and problem solving skills. I agree with you 1000%. Yeah. I'm not that, that was, <laughs> I think those are really what I try to harp on. Yeah. And what I try to say when I answer that question is communication is huge because you're going to be in cross collaboration at yep. all times across mm -hmm. functional areas. Yep. But if if you can't communicate, then you inherently cannot collaborate. Exactly. So I always say that co that collaboration goes hand in hand with communication. Yep. And like you said, leadership is huge because you're going to be guiding the strategy across the team. You're going to be setting up kickoff meetings to align mm -hmm. on strategy moving forward. Yep. So really the basis of it all comes down to communication. communication. <laughs> That's the most important one if I had to choose them. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Whether it's verbal or written and do not underestimate the written because you are sending emails mm -hmm. at a very, very consistent base. Yep. And if one misunderstanding occurs throughout your email, mm -hmm. that can really deter an entire team. I'm telling you. Yep. And as you go up too, like um, people don't know this, but um, I learned this from my preceptor last week, is that a lot of your email interactions with the FDA can even be posted as well. So you always got to be careful what you say because you never know what's going to go to the public. Exactly, exactly. So I, th I think that 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 was a, a great way. I think the students got a very clear answer <laughs> when it comes to some of the soft skills they can leverage during Definitely. their 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 interviews, for sure. And then I kind of want to ask, um, you know, a career based question, because a lot of mm -hmm. students don't really know kind of how they would progress within regulatory mm -hmm. affairs. You know, a lot of people know about, you know, I want to be an MSL, I want to get a full-time MSL position, yeah. and they know kind of how they mm -hmm. elevate within their career there. So what are mm -hmm. your goals within the regulatory affairs functional area in terms of your career? Uh, do you think there are any roadblocks to ac accomplishing these goals? And how do you think the PharmD will help you achieve those career goals? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, uh, definitely something I, I'm, I'm back and forth about, but just knowing myself, one thing I loved about regulatory and industry in general is that there's really like no like ceiling for me. Like I can go as high as I want. And for me, I don't see any reason currently as to why I would stop at a certain area. Like right now my target is, you know, VP president, like something along those lines. In terms of roadblock, the key is going to be experience, right? So 
patience is going to be key. Like you don't want to take on roles or new promotions when you don't know what you're doing yet, right? So for me, I'm being very patient in my learning, making sure that I really understand everything to a T, how to lead a team. I can be an effective leader. I know the landscape. I know the product. I've had my own like repository of fires that I've put out that I can refer to as needed, right? So for me, I definitely think I'm going to go as high as I can possibly go, um, you know, unless things change, but I'm being very patient with it. I think that is my only roadblock. It's probably going to be myself. Continue to be challenged, asking for more responsibility. Like that's something that will get you far in life. You just have to be open to every opportunity. And I think for me, um, that's what really helped me be successful in life. I've just been open to challenge, open to opportunity, put myself out of my comfort zone, right? Because there's no growth in comfort. You have to go outside of it. Lead presentations. If you're scared of public speaking, like put yourself in that position. I'm even looking, I'm, I'm very comfortable talking publicly, but I'm even looking at Toastmasters. I'm like, I need to sign up for the club here in Atlanta so I can do that and start doing more public speaking engagements and things of that nature. So uh, have self-awareness, know what your weaknesses are, know what your strengths are, and try to position yourself where your strengths can be emphasized. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. The beauty of regulatory affairs is I don't believe there's a, a ceiling for, yeah. for a farm D specifically, yeah. right? Exactly. Let's just, yeah. I just focus on the farm Ds, but yeah. 100%, I, I, I just feel like there's opportunities. And like you said, if you are start being comfortable with being uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Yeah. and taking on those roles that will give you that experience that is required, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then it's really up to you to kind of maneuver your way exactly. and take on those uh, bigger titles that you mm-hmm. kind of know you can make a stamp on, not just taking a title to take a title. I think is extremely important. And and like you mentioned, you know, having these experiences really go mm-hmm. a long way because eventually down the line, you're going to run into a similar problem you, yep. <laughs> and you can always harp on that ex- previous experience to kind of lead you in a way to solving that new uh, problem that is being presented. So exactly. I think you put it perfectly. And for the students that don't know that are listening, you know, just know that there is immense growth within this functional area as there are for many, um, but particularly for regulatory affairs, I feel like there is a way to kind of maneuver your way to the top yeah, uh, to put it in a, in, in a very lay way to say the least. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the regulatory affairs functional area throughout the episode and i know the students have gotten great insight but is there something that you want to let our viewers know that we didn't get a chance to speak about i think for me it's like continue to be open to challenges if you have an idea act on it no matter how innovative it is i told you i had the medical device startup didn't go as planned but like now i have a new startup with creating a social media platform to help people build better lifestyle habits right there are so many things that you see in practice that could have simple solutions um, and you can help be part of the solution for that, right? I think of um, PillPack, right? That was talking about Farm Dina MBA. Putting timestamps on a package of medication, not exactly the most complex solution, but, you know, it paid dividends. I think Amazon purchased them for a billion dollars, right? So just think outside the box. If you have an idea, act on it. Like, like don't hesitate, you know, and then just be open to challenge. Like, in life, you just have to keep failing. Like, failing is part of growth. You're not going to not fail, right? And like I said, regulatory is a lot of gray area. There'll be times where you make mistakes, but um, I think you just have to get up and keep pushing forward and uh, success will find you. I couldn't have not said that better. And I think that's a perfect way to kind of wrap this podcast up. So that brings us to the conclusion (laughs) of this episode of the IPHO podcast. I hope the audience got some insight into regulatory affairs and kind of some of the soft skills that are needed to succeed within this functional area. 
you know, again, thank you, Kevin, for joining us and providing this amazing content. I know the students are going to love it. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. It was a great time. <laughs> awesome. Until next time, folks, uh, Brian here signing off and IPHO podcast coming very soon.